This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Sorry about my voice, but it is the uh, winter cold and flu season, and sooner or later, playing patient roulette, somebody manages to pass along what they have to yours truly. Thankfully, at least I don't feel sick. I just sound sick. Today marks the 50th anniversary of the inauguration of President John F. Kennedy back in 1961. This week also marked the celebration of the birthday of Martin Luther King. And uh, it was on MLK Day on the 17th, where we observed the 50th anniversary of possibly the most important speech given in the last, I don't know, century maybe in America, President Dwight D. Eisenhower's farewell address to the nation. Talked about that speech on the show before, and today be the day to do it again. like to note by way of forward promotion that we have an excellent guest on next week's program, author Kevin Cook, about his remarkable book, Titanic Thompson, the man who bet on everything. You probably never heard of Titanic Thompson. I sure hadn't, but what a colorful character. That's going to be fun on next week's program. We also must talk more about adventures in Latin America, but that, too, must be deferred. Today is that roughly once-a-month show where we just have to catch up on the piles of stuff that we want to talk about, but just have a hard time getting to sometimes. But let us begin our program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date being the 20th of January. By the way, presidents didn't start taking the oath of office on January 20th until 1936. Prior to that, the new president took office on the 4th of March. When FDR took over for Herbert Hoover, it was felt that was an interminably long period of time. It needed to be shortened, and that was done so by the next election cycle. So it was that every president that's taken office has been inaugurated on this day since the uh, mid-30s. We're looking toward focusing on the JFK inaugural of a half century ago. Back in history, however, it was on January 20th in 1649, following the English Civil War, that King Charles I was tried for treason. He was actually tried, convicted, and beheaded. On January 20th in 1841, during the First Opium War, China ceded the island of Hong Kong and surrounding territories to the British with the signing of the Chuen Pi Convention. The Chinese hadn't been too crazy about the fact that the British were selling opium to the Chinese population in exchange for hard goods like silver and things to trade with. When the Chinese objected, the British sent in gunboats. And yes, the Chinese were forced to accept drug dealing because it was making just such bloody good coin for the British Empire. On this date in 1958, American singer Elvis Presley received orders from his Memphis, Tennessee draft board to report for duty. And on this date in 1981, just minutes after Ronald Reagan's inauguration as the 40th president, the 52 American captives held at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, were released, thus ending the 444-day Iran hostage crisis. We would refer you to our own archives for a discussion with author Barbara Honecker about that uh, rather suspicious series of events, which seems to suggest very strongly that the Republicans cut a deal with the Iranians to keep the hostages until the inauguration. 
Our quote of the day comes from Fox News contributor Liz Trotta, who we would remind you during the channel's 2008 election coverage said, quote, And now we have what some are regarding as a suggestion that somebody knock off Osama, uh, Obama. Well, well, both, if we could, unquote. Fair and balanced. Our quip of the day comes from a highly unusual source, the great Reformation thinker Erasmus, who once said, This much is certain. Without a little folly, no party is any fun. Not just a Reformation thinker, but also apparently party animal. Our joke of the day comes from the legendary stand-up comic Myron Cohen, who said, The U.S. Census Bureau was conducting an actuarial survey on the Lower East Side. The guy from Washington knocks on a door, and there stands this nice little Jewish man in his 80s. The guy says, Sir, we understand you've lived here for many years. What is the death rate in this area? The man thinks for a minute and replies, Well, in my opinion, and don't hold me to this, but in my opinion... I'm pretty sure it's one to a person. Our stat of the day is that 57% of Americans say that heated political rhetoric had nothing to do with the shooting of Representative Gabrielle Giffords and 19 other people, while 32% say it did. Among Republicans, 69% say rhetoric was not to blame, compared to 19% who say it contributed to the shooting. According to Andy Borowitz, the Fox News Channel today attempted to bust what it called a mainstream media myth by reporting there was no link found between matches, gasoline, and fire. Said Fox host Glenn Beck, gasoline and matches don't start fires. People start fires. Or as comedian Jake Johansson once pointed out, guns don't kill people. It's the bullets. The guns just... Let the bullets go faster. You can't walk into a liquor store and say, hand over all your money or I'm going to shove these bullets into your skull. Now, I think it's a great country we're living in when floridly insane people can walk into gun shops and buy pistols and then have extended clips where you can put 31 rounds of ammo in it. Again, not necessarily any link to violent crime, just as there's no reason to assume that you can take teenage boys and hand them whiskey and car keys and expect the rate of traffic accidents to increase. Anyway, let's see if we can't do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for justice in the wake of former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay being sentenced to three years in prison. I think we mentioned this on last week's program, but doggone it, it's a good week, so I'm going to mention it again. Speaking before his sentencing, Tom DeLay told the court, I can't be remorseful for something I don't think I did. All right, we'll add another good week for it. It was a good week last week for butt dialing after the Toronto police said they respond to 300 calls per day dialed by people who accidentally sit on their phones, noting that butt dials account for about 10% of the city's 911 calls. It was a bad week, week before last, for do-it-yourself ceremonies. After two Republican House members, Pete Sessions of Texas and Mike Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, missed the congressional swearing-in ceremony and decided to take their oaths while watching the ceremony 
on television. As a result, the first six votes they cast were subsequently nullified. Of course, being strict to constitutionalists, I think they tried to argue later that, that the Founding Fathers intended for us to be able to get sworn in over the television. And it was surely an ugly week last week for Russian investors. And it was revealed that the man who bilked millions of Russians out of their life savings is now touting a new pyramid scheme. Sergei Mavrodi created the notorious MMM Investment Group, which collapsed in the 1990s, losing $1.5 billion. He was arrested in 2003 and spent four and a half years in jail for money laundering. But he's out, and this week he's announced on his blog the opening of MMM 2001, a, quote, structured financial social network, unquote, that he said could return yields of 20%, depending on increasing numbers of participants. While freely admitting that no investments will be made with the money, Mavrodi said, the system is absolutely invincible, unsinkable, indestructible. Russian authorities said the scheme was not illegal per se, but they're discouraging Russians from investing with Mavrodi. And if only the Pentagon had thought of this, we could have sent Bernard Madoff to Moscow. Speaking of Ponzi schemes, William A. Sassman II, a Sacramento insurance agent, was sentenced a couple weeks ago to uh, 18 years in prison in Sacramento Superior Court. He was also ordered to repay nearly $4.5 million to 48 victims. But it was noted that since the money's all been spent, no one's likely to see a dime. Sassman apparently sought out victims, many of whom were elderly or nearing retirement, touting bogus investments promising returns of as much as 1,600% to 2,000%. And once again, if it seems too good to be true, we have a comment from uh, Steve Valentino from last week's program who agreed that it wasn't necessarily enough to rewrite Huckleberry Finn and take out all of the, quote, N-words, unquote. Although it's a good idea to do this because some people might get upset, Steve thought we should take it one step further and do what we can to clean up the ending to the diary of Anne Frank. A lot of people thought the fact that Anne died in the concentration camp to be really quite a downer, so in the new version, Anne lives, emigrates to Brooklyn, and lives happily ever after. By the way, we're enormously pleased to have on this program been touting the fact that one can now be a tourist in Colombia. A little bit ahead of the week magazines acknowledging the same thing. The leisure section of the current edition refers to uh, this week's dream as the rebirth of Bogota. Article cites the New York Times noting that the capital is cleaning up its act after decades of grappling with drugs and poverty. It now, for the most part, has a right to proclaim itself a safe destination. They note that hotels are opening and the number of foreign visitors has doubled in the last six years. Today, the country's tourism office claims that the only risk in visiting Colombia is wanting to stay. And no, we have no insight on this program as to whether part of that notion of getting you to stay involves hiding the international airport. But we'll look into it. By the way, the New York Times in an editorial noted that had Congress not allowed President Clinton's assault weapons ban to expire in 2004, this nut in Arizona could not have bought the extended magazine that let him get off so many shots so quickly. Something to think about in our national debate over gun control, eh? For keeping score, the U.S. murder rates 5.3 murders per 100,000. In Canada, 0.47. All right, and as follow-up, something else we talked about on this program, I think, what, six years ago? 
all of a sudden, Stop the Presses, article by Jesse McKinley in the New York Times, our Zodiac is off. We're sorry to note that uh, Radio Parallax did not go viral on this, but Park Kunkel, a board member of the Minnesota Planetarium Society, did go viral when he uh, was suddenly cast as the man who changed the Zodiac. Although he's just been commenting on a well-known fact about stars in relation to astrology, which we, you know, as I say, were, were on six years ago. But to reiterate, the punchline of this is that there's an 85% chance that you are not the zodiac sign you think you are, especially if you're a Scorpio. Of course, let's face it. If you believe that astrology is valid, nothing we're going to say here is going to change anything. But if you do like to read your horoscope in the paper every so often, keep in mind that uh, you may, at least if you're born between November 29th and December 17th, be part of the 13th sign of the zodiac, Ophiuchus, the serpent bearer which is now the unofficial sign of holiday shoppers. The uh, constellations and the the signs of the Zodiac do change with time. And I guess as a public service announcement, I will now read to you your new horoscope sign. Ophiuchus again, November 29th to December 17th. December 17th to January 20th, Sagittarius. January 20th to February 16th, Capricorn. February 16th to March 11th, Aquarius. March 11th to April 18th, Pisces. April 18th to May 13th, Aries. May 13th to June 21st, Taurus. June 21st to July 20th, Gemini. July 20th to August 10th, Cancer. August 10th to September 16th, Leo. September 16th to October 30th, Virgo. And October 30th to November 23rd, Libra, leaving just six days to be a Scorpio, November 23rd to 29th. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this means that Radio Parallax, both Mr. McMillan and myself, have moved from being Cancers to Geminis. What does that mean? Not a damn thing. By the way, that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. 85% of which, it turns out, were the wrong astrologic sign. And while uh, we may poke fun at astrology for the fact that it's insane, the supposed hard science of astronomy has its lapses too. I would uh, say witness the current edition of Astronomy Magazine article on the cover asking, where has the universe's lithium gone? Now, if you've been losing sleep over this question, you can snag a copy of Astronomy. Actually, it's the February issue, not the current issue. But I really would say, save your money on this one. The article is subtitled, A relative lack of lithium in ancient stars means scientists don't completely understand how stars evolve or how the Big Bang forged the first elements. Duh! If you're one of these folks that watches David Suzuki explain what happened in the first 10 to the negative 7 seconds after the Big Bang and all this nonsense, well, I guess it's our modern-day version of astrology. Yes, per the mathematical models of how stars get started, why there just isn't as much lithium as, well, the mathematicians think there ought to be. So yes, it's true we don't completely understand how stars evolve. Be aware that in recent years we've 
discovered that most of the universe is missing. Most of it's something called dark energy. We have no idea what it is. Most of what's left is dark matter. The only reason we know it exists is that it has some sort of gravitational pull. We have no idea what it is. What's left, stars, planets, Plymouth satellites, cats, dogs, TV shows, etc., is apparently only a tiny percentage of the existing universe. And yet, guys sit down and say, this is how we think the stars were originally formed right after the Big Bang. It's interesting, but I, I wouldn't lay any money down on these bets. All right, as long as we're talking about hard science and weird stuff that goes along with it, cannot resist this article from The Economist, January 15th edition, about car batteries and Albert Einstein. Noted The Economist, Albert Einstein never learned to drive a car. He thought it was too complicated. In any case, he preferred walking. Article notes that what he did not know, indeed, what no one really knew until recently, is that most cars would not work without the intervention of one of his most famous discoveries, the special theory of relativity. To make a long story short, the lead-acid battery is one of the triumphs of uh, 19th century technology. It was invented in 1860 and is still going strong. It's in most of our cars, unless we're driving hybrids. Turns out it works on two electrodes, one of metallic lead, the other of porous lead dioxide. But chemists could never quite figure out why lead batteries worked as well as they did. Turns out the closest thing to lead on the periodic table, tin, makes crappy batteries. In fact, based on the theories of chemists, cars shouldn't start in the morning. Enter the special theory of relativity. The nucleus of the lead atoms, a lot bigger than the nucleus of tin, it's got 82 protons versus 50, which means it's got a stronger positive charge, and the electrons orbiting it are traveling faster. Apparently 60% of the speed of light compared to 35% for the electrons orbiting a tin atom. What this means is that the lead's electrons are more massive than tins. So these heavy electrons tend to fall in and orbit the nucleus in more tightly bound orbitals. This translates into chemistry, meaning that uh, the metallic lead is less electropositive than classic theories indicate that it should be. In fact, when scientists have done the math on this, they have now concluded that about 80% of the voltage uh, in a lead battery wouldn't be there if it wasn't for this special relativistic effect. Article notes this is an extraordinary finding, prompting the question of whether previously unsuspected battery materials might be lurking at the heavier end of the periodic table. Of course, this may not work out. Lead's about as heavy as it gets before the elements start becoming radioactive, so don't look for a uranium battery anytime soon. I love the fact that they invented the lead battery 150 years ago and we just now caught on to this. Anyway, pretty amazing stuff. Think about that next time you turn the key in the ignition. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Like me. 